Good morning. So this morning, as you have heard already, it is Share the Love Recruitment Sunday. Um, what that means is that it is our goal, our purpose of this morning, is to convince you to volunteer at either Royal Family Kids Camp or Teen Reach Adventure Camp. And I think that when I say those words, I think that there are one of five categories that you might find yourself in this morning. Number one is what I'm calling those who have bought in to camp. I think it's possible that you could be here this morning and you have gone to multiple camps. Um, you look forward to camp all the time. You love camp with all of your fiber of your being. In fact, you almost could say, yeah, I heard that one there, you almost could say that you are to camp as Buddy the Elf is to Christmas. <laughs> you're counting down the days. As soon as camp is over, you're counting down until the next one and on and on and on. Um, the second group you might find yourself in is uninformed. We have had a lot of people that have come to Good News over the past year, and it's possible that you don't even know what camp is, let alone that it was even something that, that you should or that we wanted you to volunteer at. The third category is just uninterested. It's possible you've been coming to camp for multiple years, or sorry, it's possible that you've been coming to, to Good News for multiple years, and that you just said, I've heard about camp, I know what it is, and I have no desire whatsoever to be a part of it. The fourth group is, is interested, but unavailable. Again, you could have heard this, the spiel over and over and over again, and you say, I would love, I really would like to be a part of camp, but I have extenuating circumstances. Either I'm going to be out of town, I have a job that won't let me off. Maybe it's possible that, that you have a spouse that serves, and you have little ones at home, and you've got to stay home with them. It's possible also that you're too young. Like, there is an age limit on those that can serve, so it's possible that you're too young and you can't serve yet. And then the fifth one, you would be in this category if you walked through these doors this morning and you would say, I don't know that I even believe in God, let alone want to serve at a camp for abused and neglected kids. And so I share all of that because I think for the majority of you in those categories, you might say, well, well good grief, this, this sermon is trying to convince us to serve at camp. That's not applicable to me at all. And yet I want you to know that it is. I want to speak to each and every single one of you in each and every single one of these groups. I think that there is something here this morning for all of you. And so, with that said, I want to share why I volunteer at camp. I've been a part of camp since, since 2015. Um, I think if I'm doing my math correctly, I've been a part of six camps. And so from the outside looking in, you might say, well, I look like somebody who was bought in. But if you talk to me, um, if you have spoken with me at all about camp, then this won't come as a surprise. I don't look forward to camp. <laughs> in fact, camp is something I dread. Um, I miss my wife. I miss my kids. I miss my bed. And in fact, I just am afraid I'm going to be around all these kids, and I'm just going to say something stupid in front of them. And so I don't look forward to camp. And you might go, well, okay, well, if you don't look forward to camp, then why in the world do you serve? And so that is what I want to answer this morning. Um, but before we dive in, um, I just want you to know that while I have a destination in mind, it's a little bit of a journey to get there, a little bit of a windy road. And so I want you all to bear with me this morning. So with all of that said, let's dive in. We're going to look at Isaiah 46. 
1 through 10. It just says this. Bell crouches, Nebo cowers. Right off the bat, you might go and see, see, I knew the, I knew the Bible was difficult to understand. Um, <laughs> Bell and Nebo are just names of Babylonian gods. So don't get discouraged. They're just names. So Bell crouches, Nebo cowers. Idols depicting them are consigned to beasts and cattle. The images you carry are loaded as a burden for the weary animal. The gods cower. They crouch together. They are not able to rescue the burden. But they themselves go into captivity. Listen to me, house of Jacob, all the remnant of the house of Israel. You who have been sustained from the womb, carried along since birth, I will be the same until your old age, and I will bear you up when you turn gray. I have made you, and I will carry you. I will bear and rescue you. Who will you compare me or make me equal to? Who will you measure me with so that we should be like each other? Those who pour out their bags of gold and weigh out silver on scales. They hire a goldsmith, and he makes it into a god. Then they kneel and bow down to it. They lift it to their shoulder and bear it along. They set it in its place, and there it stands. It does not budge from its place. They cry out to it, but it doesn't answer. It saves no one from his trouble. Remember this and be brave. Take it to heart, you transgressors. Remember what happened long ago. For I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and no one is like me. I declare the end from the beginning and from long ago what is not yet done, saying, my plan will take place, and I will do all my will. So, what is happening in this passage? I think the first thing to know is that there are two sections. There are two sections contrasting idols versus God, versus Yahweh. And worship is happening. We see that there are images, that there are statues that are heavy, that are being created out of gold and silver that humans provide. They are being loaded up on animals, carted around, put into places where they cannot move. And the people are gathering around them, they are kneeling, and they are crying out to them. And you see, what I think this is, is ultimately I think this is a debate. It's a debate between God and idols. And God is trying to convince us. He's trying to convince us that he is better than these idols. He is unlike these idols. And so to do that, he's sharing all these different attributes of each of them. He's sharing, this is what idols are like, this is what I am like. And so I want to look at a few of those this morning. Number one, I want to take a look at idols are man-made, whereas God is creator. And so in verse 6, it says this, Those who pour out their bags of gold and weigh out silver on scales, they hire a goldsmith and he makes it into a god. So what is happening here, idols are man-made. They are created from things that we provide. Whereas God says this in verse 4, I have made you. And so God says, I am creator. And the Bible shows us that God has created all things. The Bible says that, that God has created the universe, he's created this earth, and not only that, but he has created us. And so, if God has created us and all things around us, then we have to determine that he is infinite. 
And if no one can be like God, as it says in verse 9, if no one can be like him, then he also has to be all-powerful. He has to be sovereign. See, in verse 9, it says this. It says, Remember what happened long ago, for I am God and there is no other. He is calling our attention to the fact that he has been here far before probably our memories can even remember. So, if God has always existed, created all things, and no one is like him, then he also must contain all power. So idols are man-made, whereas God is infinite creator. And then we see, point two, idols are dependent, whereas God is independent. He is autonomous. There is no outside governing authority that has control over him. Where do we get that from? Well, I think we can infer it through this passage. However, I think it's also explicitly stated. So let's look at the, the first side of this. In verse 7, it says, they lift it to their shoulder. They, being humans, lift it, being idols. They lift it to their shoulder and bear it along. They set it in its place, and there it stands. It does not budge from its place. They cry out to it, but it doesn't answer. It saves no one from his trouble. And so right there, God is saying, these idols, they require you to move them. And then once they are placed, they cannot move again. They cannot speak. They cannot rescue. They cannot save. Whereas God, in this passage, is the one literally speaking. And so it's not explicit in that, but it is inferred that God is the one speaking and saying, this is what I am like. And then in verse 10, we get it explicitly. He says, I declare the end from the beginning. And from long ago, what is not yet done, saying, my plan will take place and I will do all my will. I think that we see that God is saying, I am free from outside control. There's a movie that came out in 2002, I believe, called Minority Report. And you may have seen it. Um, but if you haven't, I just want to explain a little bit about the, the story behind it. And so in this movie, there are three siblings that are born. And they were born because of movie magic with the ability to see into the future. And so they call them precogs. And they, of course, as humans do, they see the future, so therefore we have created a pre-crime division. And so they put these precogs in this room where all day they're having vision after vision after vision of people committing crimes in the future. And then the police officers in this pre-crime division go out, and it's their job to find these people before they commit their crimes and to put them into holding cells. And so, the storyline starts. Number one, you have to, you have to know that, that everything these precogs see is true. It's going to happen. And then number two, you, you have to know that the main character then gets a vision. He intercepts it before the others can see it. And in it, it shows him murdering someone. And so he's got to figure out, how did I get from this point over here, a respected police officer, to a point where I'm going to murder someone? And I share that because I think that that's sometimes how we view God, either as a precog or as the main character. We think that, that God knows every single thing that's going to happen in the future and yet is helpless to do anything about it. Or we view God as the main character where he gets little bits and pieces of information along the way, but he is fumbling his way along and moving toward that future. Whereas we see in this that the future is not happening to God, that God is declaring the future. I declare the end from the beginning. 
And so I share all of that because I want you to see just a little glimpse of how big God is. So idols are man-made, God is creator. Idols are dependent upon us, whereas God is independent, he is autonomous, there's no outside force controlling him. And then three, idols are imprisoned, whereas God is rescuer. So we see this in verse two. The gods cower. They crouch together. They are not able to rescue the burden, but they themselves go into captivity. So what used to happen back in the day is nations would war against one another. And so obviously whenever one side won and the other side lost, the winning side would go in and pillage and plunder. And as a result, ba-ba, they get gods. There are these idols that these nations would worship. And so the warring nation, the winning nation would come in and capture their gods, their idols. And so God is saying here, they're being captured and they cannot rescue themselves. They are imprisoned. Whereas God says in verse 4, I will bear and rescue you. So we have the, the idols who cannot rescue, who are in captivity. Whereas God says he will rescue. God will rescue. Infinite creator, sovereign, all-powerful, all-knowing, future-declaring God this God will rescue. And you might say, well, rescue us from what? In verse 2, it says, they, the idols, are not able to rescue the burden. So that, that right there gives us a, a clue. But then we get it explicitly in verse 8, where it says, remember this and be brave. Take it to heart, you transgressors, which is a word for lawbreaker. And God is calling us transgressors. He's saying, you are lawbreakers. And so follow this. If God, who says, I am creator, I have made all things, if he is infinite and creator and he is all-powerful, all-knowing, if that is true of him, then it stands to reason that this God could have an expected order to all things, an expected law that must be followed. And so that is what we have broken. We have broken his law. And the Bible shows us over and over and over again that we are sinners, that we are lawbreakers, and thus we are imprisoned. We are imprisoned because we are choosing idols over Yahweh, over and over. And God sees this. He sees this and he declares and he says, I am better than those idols because I knew this would happen and you see, I made a way out. I created a rescue plan. In Romans 8, verse 1, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus, because the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. What the law could not do since it was weakened by the flesh, God did. He condemned sin in the flesh by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, as a sin offering, in order that the law's requirement would be fulfilled in us, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So, you are saved, you are rescued, you are not condemned, if you are in Jesus. Which, which means, if you trust in him, 
as your Lord and your Savior, if you trust in him as your Lord, giving authority of your life over to him and say, I want you to rescue me. Because there are two competing laws. There is a law of the Spirit that leads to life. And then there is a law of sin that leads to death. And if we could, if by some miraculous way, we could follow everything laid out in God's law, it would lead us to life. But we see through Scripture, it's impossible. We can't do it. So God, big God, sovereign, all-powerful, all-knowing God, fixed it. He sent Jesus in human form. It says, in the likeness of sinful flesh, looking like us, but not sinful. He sent him, and this is the best part of all, he sent him to take on the punishment that his law required. I hope it's sinking in just a little bit. And if not, let's reread Isaiah 46, 4. I will be the same until your old age. And I will bear you up when you turn gray. I have made you and I will carry you. I will bear and I will rescue you. And in light of Jesus, that has a new meaning. Because God, creator, infinite God, he carries us. He bears our sin. And to bear something means you stand up under the weight of it. And he stands up under the weight of our sin and says, I want to carry you. And he says, I will do this forever. And I will never change. You can trust in me. So let's lay all the cards on the table. We have idols versus Yahweh. Idols are man-made. They are created by us. Whereas God says, I am creator. I have made all things, including you. And then we have idols are dependent. They cannot move. They cannot speak. They cannot do anything on their own. Whereas God says, I am independent. I am future declaring, I know the end from the beginning, and what I say will happen. There is no outside force controlling me. And then three, idols are imprisoned, captive, they cannot rescue. Whereas God says, I am rescuer. He sees the need that we have, and he says, I will carry you. And so, the purpose of this passage is to show us our choice. The choice is this. Who will you give authority of your life to? Who will you serve? And you might say, well, Kenan, we don't serve idols today. To which I would say, yes, if you describe idols solely as gold and silver that we provide that's handed to a goldsmith that then fashions it into a heavy statue that is carted around by animals, put in place where everyone bows down, kneels around it, and cries out to it for help, then yes, we don't serve idols. However, what if I were to mention your family? What if I were to mention your career, your house, your car, your phone, your clothing, celebrities that you follow? 
or especially in today's day and age, what about your government, Republican or Democrat? And then you might say, but I am the authority of my life. Isn't it better to give authority over my life to someone I know versus a God that I can't understand? And I would say, are you sure? Are you absolutely sure? I want to circle back around to that in a second. But before we do, I think right about now, you're probably thinking to yourself, goodness, I know you said it was a long journey, but why in the world are you sharing this to get us to volunteer for camp? Camp is a place for abused and neglected kids in the foster care system. It is kids that are burdened with a heavy load, one that they cannot carry, and they are facing a world full of idols that are all vying for their attention. And they are looking to all of these things to save them. While God, miraculous and wondrous God, is here. And this is the best part. He's not saying, I want to give you another burden to carry. He is saying, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. This is Jesus speaking in Matthew eleven twenty-eight. 28. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take up my yoke and learn from me, because I am lowly and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And just so you know, yoke is not an egg. It is a, it is a thing that was placed around a harness around an animal. And so what I think is literally happening in this is this is a description of Isaiah 46, 1. That we are the animals. And we have a yoke of idolatry that is on our backs that is a heavy, heavy burden for us. And we are carrying it around. And it cannot rescue us. But God can. He says, follow me. For my burden is easy my yoke is light. Why? Why is the burden light? Because he is the one carrying it. The kids at camp need to see that choice. Do we give authority to created things? Things that cannot save, that cannot rescue, that are a burden on our backs. And remember, we are created things. If you were in that camp that said, but I am the authority of my life, isn't that better? Remember, you have been created. You are not able to save yourself. And so do we give authority to created things that cannot save, that require us to carry them? Or do we give up those idols? Do we serve the God who has everything, who needs nothing from us? Yet that God promises to sustain and carry us. And he says, I will never change. These kids are taking up a yoke of man-made authority, a burden that they cannot be rescued with. It is a burden, it is a heavy load on their backs while God is here. And he has a yoke of rest and he promises to carry them. 
And yes, there is this problem of sin that has caused so much of the hurt and the pain that they've had to endure. But God wants to rescue them from it. You see, he is their hope. I want you to think back to a moment in your life, a time when you have received a present. It could be a birthday, it could be Christmas, any holiday. But I want you to think back to that time. And in it, I want you to remember, or I want you to imagine that somebody, your parents, your siblings, a friend, had asked you and said, hey, what do you hope for this holiday? And imagine during that time you had peaked, that you looked in your parents' closets, you looked under their bed, maybe in their trunk, and you had seen the gift. And so you reply back and you say, oh, I hope for that new dress, or for that Nintendo Switch, or for that Lego set, or for that new doll. And you see, you could say that with confidence, because you had seen the gift. True hope is knowing. It is seeing the gift. While the idols of this world are lying, and it is wishful thinking. And the kids, the kids at camp need to see the gift. They need to see a God that never changes. They need to see infinite creator, all-powerful, sovereign, all-knowing God. A God that never changes and says, no one is like me. They need to see that that God looks down at us, the transgressors, the lawbreakers that we are, and his response is, I will carry you. I declared the end from the beginning. I saw this problem. I saw this law that you had broken and the fact that you were never going to be able to measure up, and I put in motion a rescue plan, a promise to carry us forever. And it is fulfilled through Jesus, the gift. And since God never changes, we have a hope in something that cannot be shaken. You see, camp, camp is for the marginalized, the oppressed, the orphans, abused, neglected, abandoned. And they have a world full of idols that is lying to them, that is vying for their attention, that is saying, you can be saved if you have enough self-love. That if you just look inward into yourself and you fix the issues that you have, you can be saved. Or better yet, don't even fix yourself. Just embrace who you are. Or if you follow the latest trends on TikTok, or better yet, be a trendsetter. Or if you're an athlete and you excel in sports. Or if you are looking in your career and you're climbing that ladder. Or your boyfriend, or your girlfriend, or your family, or your kids, or your possessions. There's all this long list that keeps going and going and going that says, I can rescue. And they're lying where God, infinite creator God, is saying this aching pain that you have, this world that has hurt you over and over again, I can do something about that. I love you. And I have proven that love by destroying the power of death over you. I want to carry you. I want to sustain you. I want to rescue you from yourself and from the sinful world. 
You see, only I can. You can hope and trust in me. I am faithful. I will never change. I can never change. I will never leave you or forsake you. Because the punishment that sin required, the punishment that breaking my law required, the punishment that every sinner deserves, even you, the beautiful thing is I took that on myself. You see, that is true hope. And if you have viewed camp as a chore, or if you have viewed camp as simply a way to be nice to abused and neglected kids, I want to erase that from your mind. Because you see, the kids that come to camp, yes, they have difficult things that they have to do. In fact, there are kids that come to camp that camp is the only time they get to sleep in a bed. Camp is the only time they get a hot shower. Camp is the only time they have ever in their life received a present. And in fact, camp is the only time they have ever seen a positive male role model. But the problem is, is that God's word shows us that memories fade. And that two or three years after camp, maybe even sooner, they will forget about how nice you were to them. But if we share the hope of Jesus, that hope does not fade. They need to see the gift of Jesus Christ through us. That is why I serve at camp. They need to be able to peek at the gift of Jesus. Our service, our volunteering at camp is their way to do that. Now, I said I had something for every group, so here it is. Maybe you find yourself in group two or three. Maybe you came in uninformed about camp. You didn't know anything about it. You didn't know there was even something you should serve at. Or if you came in knowing all about it, but had determined in your brain, I, I can't be convinced to be a part of it. This morning, I want you to serve. If you didn't know about it, I want you to be encouraged to serve. If you did know about it, but if you dismissed it, I want you to know that camp matters. They need to see the gift that we've been given, the salvation that we have through Jesus Christ. They have to. And your volunteering, your service is how they do it. And so, I want you to reconsider or consider volunteering and serving at camp this year. Maybe you're in group one. Maybe you're on board with camp. And in fact, you'd say, there is no possible way I could ever be more excited or less excited for camp. I pray this morning that this has just given you a little bit more to your foundation, has undergirded you a little bit more. I pray that you can see a God who loves these kids who loves us, who saw the problem we had and made a way to fix it. I pray that you can see that the work that you were doing through camp is not in vain. And maybe you're in group four. Maybe, maybe you were interested in camp, but you just can't serve. There's extenuating circumstances, and you can't be a part of it. I do not want you to be discouraged this morning. In fact, I would love for you to know and to be encouraged that the hope that we have in Jesus needs to be shared with all the more fervency with every single person we come into contact with. And yes, I said that these kids are dealing with idols versus Yahweh and they need to make a choice. But so is every single one of us. 
And then maybe you're in group five. Maybe you came through these doors saying, I don't know that I even believe in God. I hope you have seen a little glimpse of an amazing, wondrous, miraculous God. An all-powerful, all-knowing God who saw the problem that our sin caused. Who saw the fact that he had a law and order that was broken and required punishment. And he said, I want to carry that for you. Because you are. The problem with this world is that we have idols. We have things in our lives that are vying for our attention that say, I can rescue you. I can save you. But I want you to know this morning that only God can. And so yes, you might say to yourself, God is mysterious. I don't understand him. How in the world can I follow after this God? But I share this morning because the things that have been revealed about God, I feel like are enough. We may not know everything, but I think the things he has shown us are enough. And so I want you this morning to really consider trusting in him as your Lord and your Savior, of choosing him over the idols of this world, and saying, only you can rescue, and I want to be rescued. And so, again, the purpose of this morning is to convince you to serve at camp. And I hope for many of you, we have, or we have at least bolstered the reason why you serve at camp. But if not, I just want you to know that regardless of whether you choose to serve at camp, that we have an amazing God. We have an infinite creator, sovereign, all-knowing God that has stooped down, who has said, I see the burden that you have, and I want to carry you. I want to bear that weight. And so I hope for every single one of us that we can be encouraged to share that hope with every person that we come in contact with. So let's pray. Lord, I am thankful for you. You are an amazingly big God. And yes, you are mysterious. There are things that are really hard to comprehend about your nature and about who you are. However, you have every right to look down on us, to see the fact that we do not measure up, that we are lawbreakers, sinners. And you have every right to look down on us and to say, too bad, and just squish us right there. And yet, you didn't. You said, I see the issue that you have. And I want to rescue you. I want to take on the punishment that my law requires. And so, Lord, I am so thankful for you for that. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for being a faithful God that never changes, that will be with us until we turn gray. And even past that. I love you, Lord. 
and I'm thankful. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so to close, I want to read in Hebrews chapter 12, starting in verse 28. It says, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and what kingdom is that? Is the kingdom of the lordship of Jesus Christ. A kingdom that saw our punishment that we deserved and said, I want to take that on. I want to bear the weight of that. I want to save you. I want to rescue you. An all-knowing, all-powerful kingdom that cannot be shaken. Let us be thankful. By it, may we serve God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Let brotherly love continue. Don't neglect to show hospitality, for by doing this, some have welcomed angels as guests without knowing it. Remember those in prison as though you were in prison with them, and the mistreated as though you yourselves were suffering bodily. For he himself is God. For God himself has said, I will never leave you or abandon you. Therefore, we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? That's good news.